All right. Hello. Welcome to Seattle on Tap. I'm Courtney Jacobson. And I'm Ashley Toten. Good morning. <laughs> it is morning time. <laughs> I just finished my coffee and now I'm drinking a beer. That's how we're rolling today. James <laughs> Although uh, I got to put Bailey's in my coffee. Sadly, you have to go to work after a while. So you have to yes. live just the one beverage today. Yes, and a lower ABV option too. So I'm not like, ah. <laughs> I, um, a fun little mini story. I, last night, Gordon and a friend of ours walked down to Super Deli Mart just to grab a beer and, you know, have a good walk, you know. And um, I was like, oh crap, I don't want to drink any of the things in our fridge. And so I texted him like, since you're out, <laughs> here's what my story is. Can you find something either that relates to that or it just sounds super delicious? And he's like, uh, uh, okay, I'll try. <laughs> and he picked out the perfect beer. <laughs> Tell me more. So it is from Great Notion Brewing and I I think I've had one of theirs before on here. I can't, I definitely had their beer before. So um, first off, their can art is always so amazing. Look at this. It's like oh, wow. little skeletons having like a romantic dinner. <laughs> oh, That's amazing. Right? It, they're seriously, their can art cannot be beat. Um and this is an IPA with honey, and it's called So Wrong It's Ripe. <laughs> <laughs> a P instead of a T. <laughs> Ripe. Um, yeah, their beer is always so good and interesting. And um, This is 7% ABV. Uh, oh, Great Notion is out of Portland, Oregon, in case I didn't say I that. I was wondering. Um, and yeah, just, um, yeah, that name, So Wrong It's Ripe, just, that, that's going to correlate to my story a little. Oh, Gordon, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is, you saw my face when I first smelled it. It's, oh, it smells so good. I, I didn't see where it said anything on the can about the hops, but. I feel like I smell some mosaic hops in here. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is delicious. It's really, um, it's like a bright, kind of, not really sweet. I know there's honey in there, but I don't taste honey. So Interesting. Yeah, but it almost makes it, uh, it almost like smooths out that bite of an IPA. So it's just really, it's great for a morning beer. <laughs> it's like a mimosa beer. Exactly. It's like, is that orange juice? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> what are you uh, drinking? I am stretching first. Oh God. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am drinking the Happy Little Clouds Pilsner from Cloudburst. Oh, I love that one. And the can art on this. So this beer is a Bob Ross inspired beer, as you may have guessed. Yeah. Um, and their description of this, I was going to write my own thing out, which I probably will for the website, but I wanted to read what they wrote because I thought it was very funny. But it just says, a Bob Ross inspired bastardized Pilsner. We believe every day is a good day when you brew. Start out by believing here. A touch of Pilsner malt here a little push of German and American hops there, caressed very gently, layer by layer after layer. There are no limits here. I just thought that was hilarious because they're talking like Bob Ross. Um, but this is batch 742 um, and was canned in October, which is kind of neat. That is cool. Um, but it is 5.3% because I had to keep it low today. Yeah. Because we're recording on an off day, which... Uh, we normally record on Wednesdays, but we're recording on a Saturday because we know the holidays 
holidays are coming mm -hmm. and we want to be able to, you know, even if we're trapped in our houses, quarantined, we want to be able to spend it with our family and not, yeah, recording a bunch. <laughs> we are also going to take a little break. So happy new year, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Even though <laughs> it's not for us. <laughs> no. Hopefully we all had a great new year. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we did. We had <laughs> an amazing new year. Even though we were all at home. But we were comfortable wearing our favorite sweatpants. <laughs> and in my sake, probably no bra because... <laughs> Why Screw that noise? Why wear a bottle of champagne? Yeah, and definitely a a, sh a bottle of champagne to each person. Yes, <laughs> I'm super excited for for Layla. <laughs> yeah, yes, not a champagne bottle for Layla. <laughs> an empty one, just to, just for the photo op because I'm a terrible mom. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, if you're not going to have fun with things like that, what's the point of being a parent? Yeah. <laughs> I think it turned out great. <laughs> Some could argue that there are many other points, but whatever. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So I think we agreed that you are going first. Which is based on no actual science. We just were like, do you want to go first? Okay. <laughs> just a, who should do it? <laughs> All right. Um, so I was kind of couldn't do any more murder for right now. So we're not doing that this week again. I just didn't have the mental capacity to read about somebody getting killed. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am doing the story um, of the lost colony of Roanoke. Mm. I um, sorry, but my cats <laughs> just see me do this whole like what the hell arms up. No, nope. um, are you mad? It's just a story. <laughs> uh one of the cats was in the room with me and so I left the bedroom door open just a slight amount and now they've decided that it's really fun to just come up and jump on the door both front paws to push it open as fast as they can apparently our door my bedroom door is now a toy so while you get started cool. telling the story I'm gonna go and uh, shoo these cats out <laughs> put myself on mute while I listen to you for a quick sec here <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in August of 1587, about 115 English settlers were traveling across the Atlantic Ocean to start a life anew in the New World of North America. Eventually, they resided in Roanoke Island off the coast of what is now North Carolina. During the first several months, the governor of the colony, John White, had to leave because they were running a little low on supplies and things. And you know, there was a colony. There's no, you can't run up to Safeway or whatever. So he had to go back to England to get supplies, which is a long ass journey. Yeah, that sounds awful. Especially then. It probably smelled so bad everywhere all the time. I just, ugh. I think about that a um, lot. How everyone just stunk all the time. All the stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Oof, nasty. Nothing romantic about it, people. <laughs> um. <laughs> they still managed to, you know get things going. Ugh, yikes. Um, <laughs> so unfortunately for John White, upon his arrival back to England, he found himself right smack center in the middle of the Anglo-Spanish War. Oh. And Queen Elizabeth I demanded that all ships in the area uh, that belonged to England had to fight. And he got stuck there for three years fighting. Yep. So then finally in August of 1590, John White returns to Roanoke, but he finds that the settlement is completely abandoned. There is no sign of any of the settlers, including his wife, his daughter, and his great, and his granddaughter, who actually, I didn't realize this, was the first English child ever born in, North, in the Americas. Mm -hmm. And her name was 
Virginia Dare, but they were all missing. Yeah. The only thing that John found was the word Croatoan carved into a wooden post. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere along their fence line, the letters C-R-O, like somebody started to write it again, but yeah. it was stopped before they were able to do it. So Croatoan, you're like, what the hell is that? I also yeah, was I like, what the hell is I that? remember I was like, what did that mean again? <laughs> Croatoan was the name of the island just south of the island they were living on, but it was also the name of the Native American tribe that lived there. Okay, yeah. Um, and based on that finding, he assumed, well, okay, this must be a sign, and they must have either moved to the island or the note is supposed to tell me that I'm supposed to contact the Croatoan to find out where they went. Yeah. Unfortunately, several unforeseen circumstances took place, <laughs> mostly a hurricane and no more supplies um, before he was able to get back to like go find them. So he had to take off. And he finally, they came back years later and they went to Croatoan Island and there was no sign of them. Yeah. nobody they just vanished into thin air and also this wasn't the first time that a colony had ever been attempted in this location in fact it was the third the settlement previous to the one this the one we're speaking about was founded by the english explorer sir walter riley which is what raleigh north carolina is named after mm -hmm. um and that was in uh 1585 those folks all struggled a fucking bunch and their food supplies were super low and they were constantly being attacked and having problems with Native Americans. I am really sorry for that loud ass noise if you just heard it. I did, but it's like- <laughs> God, it sounded like a whole fucking dumpster fell from the sky. I was like, yeah. <laughs> On my end, it just sounded like a box fell from a table or something. <laughs> well, that's it. But to me, it sounded like a fucking dump truck fell from the sky. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so then a year later, um, so he, long story short, those, they were just getting the shit kicked out of them by Native Americans and their food supply was super low and they, they were like, you know what, fuck this shit and they left. They just went back to England. They were like, I've had enough, tapped out, I'm done. <laughs> and then a year later, Raleigh sent out the next group, which was this 115 group of um, people. Mm -hmm. It was like families, so it's like, women, children, husbands, whatever, and they were trying to set up a for reals, legit colony. Yeah. But okay, so how the fuck does an entire colony disappear, right? That's the main question here. There's no sign of anything other than one and a half words. <laughs> yeah. And so first and foremost, the uh, concern was that the settlers had actually been kidnapped or killed by Native Americans. But the evidence didn't support any of that. Obviously, there was no sign of fighting, no harm um, was shown. There was no bodies, no nothing. Um, and actually their houses all were taken apart and it looked like they had slowly started taking them down with care yeah. and kind of packed them all up. So it looked like they were planning on moving. Right. They left all their shit there. So that's also strange. Um, because it's known that resources were running really low, it was suggested that colonists may have so yeah, I just got super spooked. I thought I thought Daniel was behind me. <laughs> no, it's just the dog playing a bit. <laughs> He's very excited. He just pooped everybody, just so you know. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> just came in from a walk and he's like, I pooped. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, good lord. Saturday recording. It's, it's active. <laughs> <laughs> so it again was suggested because supplies were really low that it was possible that they had either reached out to the Native American tribes or to in an attempt to save themselves that they were like we're gonna have to split up um because you know no single tribe at that point could feed over 100 people there's just no fucking way um so it was possible they split off yeah Based on what little we know about the conditions before John White left, it was also suggested that just like the last group, they had a whole wicked case of the fuckets and all jumped back on a ship and tried to go back to England and were lost at sea. <laughs> I know I'm full of the fuckets pretty much all the time. <laughs> I think that's how I live my life. <laughs> fuck this, fuck that thing. Fuck <laughs> that thing in particular. Okay. <laughs> it really 
definitely worth it. <laughs> Uh, so then in 1998, uh, archaeologists were doing some studies in the area and it was namely they were doing like the tree ring studies. Oh, okay. And they were able to find that it, between 1587 and 1589 that the, that area of the United States is experiencing a really extreme drought. Oh. And they were, so then they were like, oh, well maybe they were kind of forced out because they couldn't grow crops. Yeah. And so that's totally possible too. The fact that a colony, which up until its disappearance was so well documented and then just vanished into thin air is like unnerving on its own. Um, but I just really don't think that all these people just trickled off into the nothing without something really bad happening. Yeah. But of course, there's been more disturbing theories, such as the colonists resorting to, <laughs> I'm getting there, <laughs> uh, that they may have resorted to cannibalism in the face of potentially starving, yeah. and that there might not really be evidence because they ate themselves. Um, and that evidence was actually also thought about because Jamestown that happened. Yeah. One of the next colonies up north, they started eating each other you guys, American history. <laughs> yeah, it's real awesome. It's fucking gnarly. Oh my God. Um, that the fact that there's no bodies, no bones, no nothing doesn't disprove that they weren't cannibalized at all. Cause then it was also on that same coin flip. It's also possible that a tribe may have cannibalized them. Right. Which, which is their bodies would be not there. I've heard before. Like, yeah. We're trying um, and now we're and we don't have food and you're taking all our resources so we'll eat you yeah. <laughs> tasty <laughs> another theory that doesn't seem too far-fetched was that the colonists actually became prisoners of war because during the time again it was the anglo-spanish war but the spanish um had set up you know kind of a base in florida Mm -hmm. They think it's possible that they may have started venturing south or the troops may have been coming up north and that they were like, hey, you're English. We're you're going fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> And the truth of the matter is I don't have the fucking answer. I really wish I could tell you what happened. Wow. But the only clue we have is the word Croatoan. And I thought y'all might be intrigued that through my research, um, this was not the only time that allegedly the word Croatoan has appeared around, surrounding a mystery in history. Yeah. Uh, allegedly, it appeared several times. In 1888, Charles Earl Bowles, better known as Black Bart, the American outlaw, mm -hmm. uh, supposedly carved the word Croatoan into his jail cell right before he was released from prison. And then soon after his release, he wrote to his wife and told her that he was sick of being followed by Wells Fargo because he had been, he got caught robbing their stagecoaches and they were like, uh-uh, motherfucker, we're going to follow you so you can't sneak up on us. Yeah. And he was just fucking over it. Um, and so the last time anyone ever saw Black Bart was February 28th of 1888 after Wells Fargo tracked him to a hotel in Valencia. I didn't say that right. Vesalia. And the owner uh, informed the men that a man that matched Black Bart's description had checked in, but never checked out, and then just seemed to have disappeared. Which also, when I read that, made me laugh because it made me think of Hotel California. <laughs> it's like, oh lord, Black Bart um, always makes me laugh because it reminds me of uh, my favorite Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. The kids always like, I see you, Black Bart. Yeah. <laughs> it does that whole like that imaginary scene of this robber coming in and this whole bandit yeah he can be the hero yeah i love that movie it's I, a classic it's one of seriously my favorites of all time it's amazing <laughs> um there's also the story of the civil war soldier that turns journalist and author named ambrose beers Mm -hmm. uh, he tra traveled into Mexico during the Mexican Revolution, and he was last seen in Chihuahua, Mexico. Chihuahua. Excuse me. <laughs> Chihuahua. Um, it was rumored that he'd carved the word Croatoan in the bedpost just before he went missing at the hotel he was staying at in 1913. So it's been said that Amelia Earhart, 
uh, wrote Croatoan, and it was at least seen in her notebook that she had written it out in her notebook in her own handwriting right before she disappeared. And lastly, not much is known about the death of Edgar Allan Poe in 1849, but he disappeared while on a trip for, from Virginia to Pennsylvania, and he never arrived to his intended destination. And instead, he was actually found in a gutter in Baltimore uh, on October 3rd, 1849. And he was wearing clothes that didn't belong to him, and he seemed in extreme distress and was making no fucking sense. He was taken to Washington Medical College, where he died a few days later on October 7th of 1849, and he was never able to fully explain what happened to him. And according to witnesses, um, he was in such a crazed state, and he just kept randomly yelling the name Reynolds, and also allegedly whispered on multiple occasions Croatoan to mm -hmm. medical staff. And at some point in his rants, um, they, they were trying to figure out, long story short, he was found in a state that I don't know if you've heard of cooing, but they think he may have actually been kidnapped. And so cooing essentially is when they, this has happened in politics. I was actually going to do his story for our political episode. Oh, yeah. It's they kidnap folks, drug them, mm -hmm. make them, you know, take all of their identifying things away and kind of threaten their lives and force them to vote for people mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have normally voted for to do, it's a, a form of election fraud. Yeah. But a lot of people vote and then get killed in that situation. And they think that may have been what happened to Edgar Allan Poe. Wild. I know. And I'm like, what the fuck does this mean? And I'm like, did all these people like say croatonin and then get sucked into another vortex or some Stop shit? Croatonin, Ashley, God. <laughs> the next tattoo. <laughs> Great. This is our last episode ever. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Nobody knows where Ashley is now. <laughs> Last thing I saw, she carved croton into her kitchen sink. <laughs> We're going to have t-shirts printed out. <laughs> croton. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's creepy. Ugh. I'm going to start sending you voice text that just whispers, croton. <laughs> the creep. I Years and years ago, well, not years and years, a few years ago, I worked in a bakery with a friend. Um, I don't know if she listens or not. It's not the Mariah we've talked about. It's another Mariah. Okay. Um, but she used to do this thing to me that every single time I would pull a bag of sugar or flour out and be cutting it open over a barrel, she would appear. I don't know where the fuck she would even come from. And I would hear, <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> She used to do it all the time, but it used to make me laugh really hard. But I was like, how does she fucking know where I am right now? Quit following me. <laughs> so funny. I love that so much. <laughs> it used to make me like cry because I would laugh so hard. <laughs> Especially that early in the morning, you're all, you're loopy anyway. And then somebody just out of oh, appears and sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> no are you real <laughs> oh yeah I love that that story I feel like every time I hear it it's a different take on it and that's I think the thing I love about it the so much about it so much is that there are it's practically an infinite amount of theories out there of what happened to these people and totally it's very intriguing and i i need to know the answer I know. and yeah it literally could be anything yeah probably aliens though <laughs> <laughs> probably <laughs> maybe there is a planet croatoan that we don't know about sure <laughs> <laughs> Anything <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I will tell you why my beer, so wrong it's ripe. <laughs> Good fit. Deal. <laughs> And we're back. Okay, as promised. Um, curious, 
Did you ever have the pleasure of serving, since we are in Seattle, um, Mary Kay Letourneau or Philly Fulau? I haven't. Okay. Um, I have served her definitely uh, like twice. One time, like I, I was the person that like was the only one that served her, but, um, and I remember that I got this just, you know, you, you get a vibe off of people when you're serving them. And I remember I got this vibe of like, wow, this poor lady seems very desperate for attention. <clears throat> and so it was that like caretaker kind of mentality for me, like, oh, this poor lady, you know? Um, and then when I got her card, I was like, oh, that's why I get this vibe. Okay. I see who you are. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> and that was, um, I want to say like, a year or two ago. Well, yeah, probably about roughly about two years ago that I served her. So not that long ago. Anyway, so I'm going to tell you why it, for those that are not in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> that maybe we're not paying attention to the news in the late nineties, um, why those names even matter. So oh my. here we go. I'm not going to lie. I thought you were going to pull a fast one on me and be like, I just wanted to tell that story, but that's not the story I'm telling. <laughs> I like paused. I'm like, is she? Wait, what? <laughs> is this an aside? No, <laughs> we are going to go into it. All right. So it's 1996 and a 13-year-old Vili Fulau stays a bit late in class so that he can talk to his sixth grade teacher. Uh, he's confiding in her how he's in love with a girl in class and just kind of that young love kind of stuff that you might confide in a friend or a mentor. Like, I'm just, you know, I, I don't know what to do about it. You know, that kind of conversation. <clears throat> Innocent crush yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's saying, I don't know what to do about this and all that. And um, as the conversation goes on, his teacher's listening, trying to give good advice. Um, and so at some point she says, well, you know, do you think this girl even knows how you feel? Do you think she even has an idea that you like her, let alone that you're in love with her? And so he leans in and says, I don't know, does she? Ooh. <laughs> okay, so that's how the story goes according to, to Mary Kay Letourneau, who is that teacher. And um, there are many interviews you can find online that they've done with Inside Edition and Entertainment Tonight and, you know, all the tabloid-esque um, places. Anyway, so naturally, <laughs> wait, no, not at all naturally, very unnaturally. This teacher, Mary Kay Letourneau, and her sixth grade 13-year-old student begin hanging out together, hanging out mm -hmm. outside of school. Um, the two of them tell people that she is his mentor. He, he came from a pretty poor family. He was born in Hawaii. And when he was about four years old, they moved to the Seattle area. Um, and uh, his dad wasn't really in the picture at all. His poor mom was the only person supporting her family, herself and her four children. So she worked a lot, and um, which means uh, Vili Fulau was kind of not only this kid that didn't have his dad, a, a boy that didn't have his dad figure around at all, but he also, his mom was really busy, you know, like 
she was supporting her family. And on top of that, he being from Hawaii, he had a tiny bit of an accent and kids fucking suck and they're mean. And so they were making fun of him. So he was a little bit of an outcast. Um, anyway, so he was, I'm going to go with saying he was easy prey, maybe. <sighs> um, what's up? Impressionable for sure. Oh, oh completely. And um, anyway, so they're hanging out. They're telling people that she's his mentor. Um, summer rolls around. Mary Kay Letourneau and Vili Falau are still spending lots of time together during the summertime. No school going on. Um, and somehow uh, Mary Kay Letourneau's husband, Steve, and her already existing four children aren't seeing that this is a weird thing. Nobody's questioning the fact that she's spending lots of time with this 13-year-old. Okay. Anyway. Um, so one night, cops roll up to a car that's parked in this marina parking lot. Um, they, know they, you know, doing the usual rounds and they see that there's very obviously some people in this car, they're like, hey, we're gonna, you know, probably catch some teenagers and scare the crap out of them and make them go home kind of a deal. And so they roll up on this car, rap on the window. And as they're coming up to the car, a woman hops from the back seat into the front seat and uh, rolls down the window. Hey, officer, what's going on? Kind of a deal. And they're like, what's going on? It's Mary Kay Letourneau and Vili Fulau. Um, Mary Kay jumps in the front seat and she's like, oh, oh, hi, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, my, our family friend here has been staying, staying with us and um, my husband and I got in a really big argument and it kind of scared him. And so he ran out of the house and I just, I was driving around to try and find him and he was just so upset. And so we were talking, but now he's asleep. So I was just going to let him sleep a little before we went home. And Vili Falau is in the back seat, trying, pretending to sleep. And so obviously the cops are like shining their light flashlights in people's eyes as they do wake quote unquote, wake up Vili Falau. And um, they pretend, so Mary Kay Letourneau and Vili um, tell the cops false names and say that he's 18, which he's still 13 at the time. And um, <laughs> they, so the cops are like, yeah, sorry, you guys are gonna have to come with us. We're gonna have to figure out what the heck's going on here. Take him down to the station, call Vili's mom. And, you know, again, she's got her hands full. She's trying to work all these jobs. She's trying to support this family. And she's already spread far too thin. And she's thinking that her son is getting some mentorship and some guidance and maybe a leg up in life. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just been hanging out with his teacher. She's his mentor. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. He can be with her. Um, he can go back to her house with her. That's no big deal. Um, obviously, Excuse having, me. Hello. <laughs> obviously having no idea what is actually happening. And um, again, this is 1996. Still in the days of, we think people don't prey upon young people unless they look a certain way and are men mm -hmm. <laughs> you know um anyway so they leave the police station everybody's cool whatever oh so sorry just a misunderstanding um and of course mary kay letourneau and billy um continue their affair and shock amaze she ends up pregnant turns out that's how that happens that's how babies are made. Weird. <laughs> I have on here. That's how that happens. What? Um, so, you know, she, um, in an interview said, 
And, you know, I already knew I was a very, what was it? Capable mother. I was a very capable and knowledgeable mother. So I thought to myself, I can do this. There's, that's not a problem. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is a problem. You're having a child with someone that's not your husband that also happens to be a child. (laughs) (laughs) Half your age. It also turns out that, as you were saying, women can be predators. Right. Yeah. So she tells her husband because, you know, it's pretty hard to hide a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And (laughs) this guy, (laughs) instead of being, you know, like what you and I would expect and being like, fuck you, I'm out filing for divorce, calling the cops, all that stuff right away. He is like, okay, well, I'm going to confront this, quote, other man (laughs) and confronts the 13-year-old, Billy, and is like, listen, you need to stop having an affair with my wife or I'm going to go tell your mommy. (laughs) I'm going to tell on you. (laughs) And I'm just... You know, (laughs) this whole thing is so messed up. Anyway, so then, shortly after that, a anonymous family member of Steve's calls the cops and reports this entire situation. So she gets arrested, because she should be, and (laughs) um, goes to jail, and, um, you know, there's a very, very televised, very national, national news coverage uh, court. And um, I mean, at this point, this was such a big shocking thing. Uh, 96, I was still in living in Missouri at the time. And I remember hearing about this and being like, wait, what? Um, that's, that's where I'm from. Uh, wait, what's going on? And, you know, asking friends here, like, do you know about this? What's going on? You know? Um, yeah, this, Billy Fulao is only three years younger than I am. So, I don't know. I just remember being like, there's, that's insane, you know? Yeah, he, I think he's just about my age. Um, yeah, born in 83, so he's like six months younger than you are. Yeah, he, I remember hearing about this as a kid in the news and being very much like looking at my school teachers and looking at my classmates and being like, what? (laughs) Yeah. I know, I remember thinking, because where I went to school, it was, there, there were no hot teachers, at least not, not that I thought were tea, were hot and there was no like, at least in my circle, nobody talked about a hot teacher. Um, there was one coach that was supposedly having an affair with a student, but you know, I think that was all like every school has to have one of those thing, you know, like there's always that one person that gets picked anyway. Um, but yeah, not even he was not hot. So I remember hearing all this and being like, gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a teenager, so it was like, ew. (laughs) Oh my God, that's disgusting. Yeah. So, (laughs) all right. Back to, back to the story here. So the state wanted to throw her in prison for six and a half years. And so obviously she's not trying to do that because she's so in love. And, um, so she takes a plea deal and gets, it was like six months with three months deferred. Anyway, she got three months in jail, but also was told, like she was never to have contact with him or her ex-husband or her, her four children or this baby she gave birth to while in prison. Um, who Billy's mom 
got custody of. That poor fucking lady. She's like, I already have five million kids that I'm trying to take care of. Also, the, I guess, kind of mean, judgy side of me is like, um, she couldn't protect her, the son, the kids she already had. How are we expecting her to protect this one? But whatever. Um, so, yeah. Billy Filao and Mary Kay Letourneau had a daughter. But wait, there's more. Um, Mary Kay Letourneau serves her three months in prison, gets out, and way too quickly is pulled over and, ha- and is in the car yet again with Philly Fulao. Like, bitch, can you not learn a single fucking lesson? <laughs> God. So they throw her in jail. She gets seven and a half years at this point because they're like, clearly you learned zero lessons and fuck you. You're a child predator. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to go away for as much time as we legally can put you away. Um, And uh, wait, no, that's not all. (laughs) While she was out, her and Vili Fulao made another baby. She gave birth to their second daughter while in jail the second time. So (laughs) she spent, uh, she was in prison from 1998 to 2004. And not even an entire year after she got out of jail, she and Vili Fulao got married. (laughs) Um, They sold the rights to like photographing their wedding uh the exclusive rights to entertainment tonight so you know real reputable um (laughs) but anyway so they ended up staying married to for roughly 14 years um he filed for divorce there's conflicting reports it's like late 2017 sometime 2018 um, but they remained friends actually, even after that, because then of course, shortly after their divorce was final, she was diagnosed with colorectal cancer, which this last summer she passed away from at the age of 58 and Vili Fulao dropped everything in his life he had moved down to california he had started a new life um he dropped everything and moved back here moved in with her to take care of her and be by her bedside until the day she died which it's like i guess if you're gonna do this major awful thing maybe it's good they really did stay together i i mean i don't know i that's like the only silver lining i can come out of it but anyway so of course i'm like what made her this way was she molested like what's the deal um so she was born in tustin california um Mm. yeah where i'm from that's, the nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm gonna talk on my water with excitement. I'm gonna spit on my water, but me too. <laughs> um, and she was born into a very devout uh Catholic family. She was the fourth of seven children. Um her daddy called her cake. Don't really know what that means, but I'm thinking that that seems problematic to me. I don't know. That sounds gross. Um, She was, her full given name at birth was Mary Catherine Schmitz. Um, But everybody in her family just called her Mary Kay. And um, yeah, her dad called her cake. I don't know why, but that sounds gross to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I just get the heebie-jeebies from it. But anyway, um, Turns out her dad was highly intelligent. He was a professor at a local at Santa Ana College, um, 
political professor, and then he ended up running for office and for Senate and um, actually served a several different um, political appointments. And um, sadly, at one point while he was a professor at Santa Ana College, he had an affair with a former student and fathered two children. So I'm thinking that is where the apple fell from that tree. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Um, and of course it ruined his marriage. And, um, but of course, because they were Catholic, they ended up getting back together because divorce is not allowed in the Catholic religion, blah, blah, blah. That's another opinionated rant for another day. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she met she had, of course, high hopes of high dreams of thing where she was going to go, but she she was a bit of a rebellious child. She tried her best to stay, um, I guess, in her parents' good graces, but she wanted to do other things. So she went to, when she graduated high school, she went to college at Arizona State University, which most people know when they hear that it's a full-on party school. And she even says that that's pretty much why she went there, because she knew it was a party school. That is where she met her husband, Steve. They, sounds like, had a shotgun wedding. Um, made a baby before they got married kind of a deal. And because she was Catholic, she was almost forced by her family to marry this guy. Um they moved up here from Arizona to Seattle area. Actually, first they moved to Alaska because when they got pregnant and got married, they both dropped out of school. And he, the first job he could get was a baggage handler for Alaska Airlines in Alaska. So they moved to Alaska, then he transferred down to Seattle. She ended up finishing school, blah, 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 became a teacher. We know how that ended. Um, but through that time had four children and apparently her marriage with Steve was not great. And their neighbor who also happened to be a lawyer and ended up being her lawyer for the whole child rape thing. Um, <laughs> he's on record as saying that he uh, he had witnessed a few different times when um, Steve was emotionally abusive to her and he knew that he was physically abusive to her because she had gone to the hospital a minimum of two times for injuries that she got in fights, in marital fights. Uh, police were called several times but ended up, you know, de-escalating and there was no charges filed, blah, blah, blah. So she was a really unhappy person and grew up with a really shitty example of how marriage is supposed to work. And um, not that that excuses it, but I guess in my mind, it's like, okay, that's in a way how she got made. Yeah. I don't know. But um, yeah, um, obviously nobody's life is perfect and it's all what you make of it. Um, but in a way, it's like sometimes we can see patterns of how things happen. Mm -hmm. But and you get convicted and put in prison, that might be a good indicator that you're on the wrong path. Mm -hmm. um, fun side fact uh, they, their two daughters are 20, what did I write down? Um, God, really? Oh, that makes me super old. <laughs> 23 and 21 now. Really? Yeah. And um, at, at least uh, in, what was it, 2013, a friend of mine owned a restaurant slash nightclub down in downtown Belltown area in Seattle here. And um, it was called Karma. And Vili Fulao was a pretty regular DJ there. And um, he, of course, always had Mary Kay there 
and she was a Billy Fulao or I guess DJ Headline fangirl mm-hmm. to the end. She, I saw them there once, and um, he was DJing like you know, all DJs, they're like, I don't give a fuck about anybody. I'm the cool guy in the room kind of a deal. And she was just posted up at a table, like, ah, dreamy eyes at him the whole night. I mean, yeah, she would dance and like, look kind of like a fool, but, um, she fucking loved that kid to the end, which I, I don't know. Part of me just feels sad for her that she was so messed up in the head. You know, I mean, with I mean, I don't know anything about them as individual people. Maybe he's a really nice guy. He seems, yeah, yeah, completely. He was completely taken advantage of. That was one of those things where when he leans over and says, "I don't know," does she? That's a thing where an appropriate adult conversation would have been oh, that is a sweet thing for you to say, but it is not an appropriate thing to say to your teacher. You know, an actual adult would have nipped it right there and said, you know, you need to go for for girls your age and, you know, some sort of like, oh, you know, pat on the back kind of thing. That's really sweet. Not like crushes dreams, but also just kind of guide him over towards the girls his age, not more than twice it she was 34 at the time how old were her other four kids because that's the other thing like i don't know um and i'm i couldn't find much of any information on them and i'm assuming i i assume that that's just kind of a to protect them from having to deal with the bullshit that their mom did because for the longest time, they didn't hide much from the spotlight. They were like, we don't care who knows how much we're in love. I mean, this was a big, like, full-on tabloid shit show for a good long while. And I know for me, like, if my mom had pulled some shit like that, I would be changing my last name and completely removing. I'd be like, yep, mom's dead, (laughs) you know? I need a normal life moving on, you know? <laughs> Speaking of, like, so I only had one experience uh, with, of her, which was a guy I dated, like, when I say dated, we literally went on, like, two dates. Oh, yes. And I- it, <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, he lived across the street from her. Okay. And it was before she got out of prison. Ooh. Um, so that would have been 2004, 2005. 2004, yeah. Um, and I, he was like, you know, this neighborhood's kind of whatever, but we always have this fun thing to watch. And I was like, what? And he's like, oh, I live across the street from Mary Kayla Turner. And I was like, show me. Like, I was like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> and that was but, in Berlin, right? Yeah, like j- almost um, Boulevard Park kind of area. Okay, yeah. Um, but Daniel recently <laughs> came up. He uh, he didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. But he experienced her in the bar you used to work. Mm-hmm. He was there one night and everybody was like, did you see her? And he's like, see who? What's going on? And they were like, yeah, that was the night that I was talking about that I served her. He was, yeah, that's right. He, I remember he was there and I think I even talked to him. I was like, fuck, everybody's freaking out about this. And <laughs> <laughs> She was. I just thought they were some weird couple that was sitting at the bar. Uh-huh. And I was like, weird. Yeah. But they were s- technically split at the time. And I I remember being like, oh, yeah, that's who you are. Because I, it was shortly before that that I had gone to my friend's bar at Karma, and um, which is no longer there. But, um, and he was like, so you you recognize the DJ and like, I, you know, he kind of unfolded the whole thing. And I'm like, Oh my God, I haven't even thought about them in forever. I can't believe they're still even in the area. Yeah. So that's a fucking crazy story. Yeah. And yeah, like, I don't know. I, 
I know he was like kind of isolated because he didn't have his dad around and that his mom wasn't around, but I feel kind of bad for him because I feel like he lacked her for that, but also got taken advantage of, but then I don't know, like he's still a pretty, I mean, I'm not old, so he's clearly not an old person and he still has a whole lot of his life to- 37. Yeah. Hopefully he's being a therapist and like working that shit out. I, I would hope so, but I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't bank on it. A lot. Yeah. Oof. Yikes. I did see an interview where he was asked, um, he, cause for ever and ever and ever, and this was like post her death. Um, somebody had asked him, um, now that she, you guys are fully split up and she's gone, do you feel like you were taken advantage of? And he's like, you know, I don't really know. Um, I feel like there is definitely something wrong that went on there. I was definitely too young. And um, they said, so if, do you think you would ever go after someone younger than you since it happened to you? Because, you know, these things get perpetuated. And he was like, no, if I thought that I was trying to go after someone much younger than me, I would immediately go and try to get some therapy. So oh, dang, like, I didn't even think about that. He's not much older than she was when a, she yeah. was a 18 year old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I saw pictures of him with their two daughters and I'm like, before I realized who the two, I'm like, who are these two girls? Are those like his sisters? No, no, those are his two children. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I know that hundreds of years ago, people had children at 13 and 14 and 15 years old, but I, it just seems so completely unnatural now. I mean, I was 33 when Layla was born. <laughs> so I just have puppies. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do the kid thing. It's hard. I'm definitely not going to do it again. <laughs> I mean, this planet does not need more people. <laughs> no. <sighs> well, peace to everybody. What's up? I'm a really big fan of being aunties to everybody's kids. I'm yeah. Like auntie it's smash. A lot more. It's a much more fun role. That's for sure. <laughs> Can like walk up, stir the pot, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a super loud, obnoxious toy. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'm going to go home. <laughs> I remember before my little sister had any kids, um, she used to love giving my daughter and my brother's kid um, really loud, obnoxious toys. And we were always like, just wait, just wait, just wait. And so to this day, she's got... Uh, one that is about to turn three and one that's about like six months old. And so now the two of, you know, my brother and I are both like every Christmas and birthday, you can just guarantee it's going to be a loud, obnoxious toy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, do you have anything else? I don't. Fresh out. Of all the things. <laughs> well, until next week, uh, drink good local beer. And please tip your fucking bartenders. Okay, bye. For more information, we can be found on Instagram at Seattle underscore on underscore tap. Email at Seattle on tap at gmail.com or our website, Seattle on tap.com. You can also like us on Facebook and all of the Seattle on tap original music is provided by bubble bathism, courtesy of the Subterranot recording collective. Mm -hmm.